This is Van Color. Welcome back to This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir, and our featured guest is an award-winning veteran broadcaster with a signature voice, a news anchor, a reporter, a consumer advocate, a radio talk show host, a recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Radio Television Digital News Association Canada. She hung up the mic earlier this year, at least for now, after a six-year run hosting the Linda Steele Show on 980 CKNW here in Vancouver. She was the first person to ever put me on radio, so blame her for me. <laughs> she is my friend. She is Linda Steele. Linda. Oh, it feels full circle, doesn't it? Right? I brought you on my show because when you interviewed me for your podcast, I thought, this guy is great. Come on my show. And now I don't have a show, and now I'm on your show. We're here. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I have to be honest. I've missed you. I've missed Aww. being on the radio with you, and yeah. I just miss hearing your voice on the airwaves. Oh, that's nice. You know, I feel, depending on the day, <laughs> I miss it. I loved being right in the center of the action. You knew what was going on. You had screens up. You're on Twitter. You were right in the middle of things. Yeah. And it was fun to talk to the newsmakers, and I had a great team, and CKNW is an amazing station. So people say, oh, do you have any regrets? <laughs> I think, I don't regret leaving when I did because I had family reasons for doing that. Sure. So I don't regret that. But do I miss it? Yes. I mean, I've been a news junkie for decades. And when, you know, the news cycle's been so hot yeah. for so you long. You want to jump back in there. Just when I think, oh, things are going to settle down. No, something else piles on top. And I get my adrenaline gets going. And I'm like, oh, my God, I go to work. And then I think, no, you're not working anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to take the news out of the gal. Is this a retirement from broadcasting full stop or... Can we maybe expect to see you down the line? I love the media. I yeah. have loved every second of my career. I did print. I did a lot of TV. Yeah. Radio was so interesting. A big learning curve for me. So, yeah, do I want to go? I'm done. Uh, you know, I feel like I've been lucky. <laughs> sure. I feel like I've really been privileged yeah. to have worked with so many amazing people and had so many amazing conversations with guests. So, I don't know. It's not like I went, oh, I'm done with this media thing. It was, you know, life intervened and said, you you got to get your priorities in order and so the door is open breaking news linda Steele will be back <laughs> i mean it has to make sense though right because the reason i left was because my dad mm -hmm. has got alzheimer's and he's in the end stage in a long-term care facility yeah and alzheimer's is a bugger of a disease sure. and it has dominated my life for over a decade yeah i moved back here my mom was diagnosed i spent mm. four years dealing with my mom she died right before i was maybe two weeks into my cknw job wow. my mom passed really stressful my dad had about a year and a half of calm i guess yeah uh and sort of normalcy and then icbc said we're taking away dennis's driver's license i was like what mm. because he has alzheimer's and i'm like come on you've got to be hitting me so i have seen this movie before and um i'm now literally the only family member who is living in metro vancouver right i'm it for dad and his life is about that big in a tiny little room dealing with his own you know 
dementia. Yeah. And it just was selfish when to you, say I'm going to keep working. When you left CKW, obviously, as you just said, this was the big reason. But I'm just, I'm just curious. And you did mention that during the pandemic, you know, you, you weren't able to see him. He yeah. was obviously having a rough go as well. Was the pandemic really the impetus for you leaving the Linda Steele show and, and leaving broadcasting? Uh, or would you have done that anyways based on where your dad was? It's an interesting question because I would kind of say yes on two fronts. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I was so tired of talking about the pandemic. <laughs> and we had done the math one day and I was around the 1,000 hour mark of wow. talking about COVID obsessively. We would have meetings in the morning and the team would say, what can we talk about today that has nothing to do with the pandemic? Yeah. Because people were tuning it out. I can't, I can't take any more pandemic yeah. news. But all roads led back to the pandemic, whether it was an economic story, a political story, a health story. So we just, we had to do it. So I realized at some point that I was getting burned out. We'd had Trump, 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 Trump for (laughs) four years and then the pandemic. And so there was that. But at the same time, it's hard for a parent to understand why are you not coming to visit? Yeah, And all you can do is a Zoom call with a care worker standing there and you're trying to have a personal conversation with your dad and he doesn't understand where are you and... When I finally got to go and see him in person again, Mm -hmm. I had to go in wearing a hospital gown and I had rubber gloves and I had a mask and then I had a face shield on. Not exactly a warm family reunion. And you weren't allowed to touch each other. So he would come to you to hug you and the staff would be like, no touching. And he would say to me, why are you wearing that? Yeah. Well, I have trouble still understanding the fact that we're in a global pandemic. Sure. It still seems like we're all going to wake up and this, you know, was a bad dream. Well, try explaining to someone who's been essentially locked away in a super small environment. Um, what is happening outside, Dad? Yeah. There's a pandemic. What is that? Why are you wearing that on your face? I don't want to scare him. Well, people are dying all around the world. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm trying to explain and he would nod. And about five minutes later, would say, why are you wearing that on your face? So, <laughs> Well, and the reason I'm asking is because a lot of people during the pandemic came to, you know, big life realizations. Yeah. They realized that they were, and I'm not saying this is you, but some people realized that they were unhappy in their jobs. So they mm. completely changed careers. Some people uh, decided to have a baby. There's going to be a lot of COVID babies or yeah. pandemic babies as well. So people did start reassessing a lot of things in their life. And so that's why I was kind of curious whether it was the pandemic that was the impetus for your decision or or more of just the, the stage in which your dad was in. I think it's a combination. Yeah. And I think the truth of it is that the pandemic made all of us really stop yeah. for a second and think. Reassess. What's important? Yeah. Am I happy? Am I getting sucked down a rabbit hole of being negative and fearful and angry? Or do I stop and take a breath and say, okay, I I am still financially secure. Mm -hmm. I have somewhere to live. No one close to me has died. I had a lot to be thankful for, and I wasn't focusing on that. I was focusing on, oh, you know, the the fear and this crazy news cycle. And at the same time, the key person in my life, my only living parent, needed me. Mm -hmm. And so... I was trying to go, okay, you know, sure, it's fun to do this job, and it pays well, but is that selfish? And the answer was, yeah. (laughs) And and 
really, I mean, you had that run where every day you're covering the minutia of case counts and Mm. vaccine rollout and, you know, every little detail. And and like we were discussing, every little news detail is, is centered around this pandemic. And so... Taking a step back now, mm-hmm. now that you've left broadcasting, away from all the minutia and all the daily updates, were there any lessons that you personally learned, big picture, out of this pandemic? Hmm, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think so. I learned, really, that I'm the kind of person who is incapable of mailing it in. So <laughs> every day I wanted to have the best show with the best guests and I wanted to learn the most and I wanted everything to be like a 10 out of 10. Yeah. And I just couldn't find any down times. And mm. so I was going too hard. And it was like I had the pedal jammed to the floor. Yeah. And I wasn't listening to myself and the stress and the anxiety that would build up because you're just going 100 miles an sure, hour. Sure, yeah. And I was really, frankly, busy a lot. And I thought I was a really good friend and a good daughter and a good wife. But you would stop and think, you know, be, oh, all these things at work would take precedence. And, and your mind from the second you woke up in the morning was, like, what's going on? Checking Twitter, checking the internet. Yeah. Uh, what am I going to do with the show? Until you were there all day doing the show and then walking home after the show thinking, what am I going to do tomorrow? And I mean, that was fun. And exciting, <laughs> but at the same time, it was like being a one-trick pony. Yeah, you know, and it's not was, sustainable no, to, to exactly. live that kind of life as well. For- it was like finally just frazzled, you know, the <laughs> synapses were not firing anymore. It was like, you need to slow down a yeah. little bit. We've talked about this in the past, but one of the things that I thought you did so effectively was basically run two platforms. In traditional media, on the radio, Mm. you were driving this public discourse in the public square. But then also on Twitter, you were kind of synergizing the two. And and, and through Twitter, you were also driving the the conversation and and hopefully driving people to the Linda Steele show as well. I'm just curious, I mean, given your history in this industry, how would you say that social media really affected our lives through this pandemic? I mean, if there was no Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, would we be different? Would we have acted differently through this pandemic? Probably. I think there was an information overload for all of us. We all wanted to know more and you couldn't stop being glued to your screen. And that was not great for the mental health. (laughs) But at the same time, this was an era which I think began with the Trump polarization, the Mm. American politics, where unfortunately it became people falling into camps. You know, I support Dr. Bonnie Henry or I don't. I think vaccinations are the best thing or it's my right not to have one. And with that, people got so angry. And it was unfortunate because there was a time, it seems very far ago, that Twitter and and other social media sites like Instagram and Facebook would be places like town halls and Mm -hmm. places of connection. And I met people who I would actually consider to be friends through these mediums. And then it just got toxic and people could go down rabbit holes (laughs) and they could find information that, you know, if, if, if you Googled having a COVID vaccination can make your hair fall out and you can grow a third arm out of the middle of your back. If you Googled that, you could probably find some doctor in Arizona yeah. who says that's true. And so we And got, that is not true, to be clear. It, it, thank you very much. It's not true. 
But it got to the point where people didn't know who to believe anymore, and people got in their own echo chambers and started seeking out information that only sort of, you know, substantiated whatever they already believed. They weren't interested in being open-minded. And I just think that it became a dark, unhappy place for a lot of people. Sure. Unfortunately. Last question before I let you go. Did you figure out how to use your steam oven now that you're not working in radio? In my defense, it was complicated. (laughs) Uh, And I also am a terrible cook. My husband will attest to that. So I thought, wow, I had this steam oven installed when I did renovations in my condo, and I had never used it. And my teammates would come on, turn that on. (laughs) So when I did step out from CKNW, I thought, I've got time. Okay, why'd you push this button? You pour water in there. And I actually used it. So you're a chef now, basically. No, I will say I've used it about four times, (laughs) but I know how to use it. You've used it. You know how to use it. I love it. Folks, we're now in the podcast exclusive part of the chat with Linda Steele. Linda, thanks so much. Thank you. This is fun. I'm getting my news fix. I get to talk in front of a microphone. It's like, woo. I feel like I'm just in (laughs) awe. I'm watching a a legend and a master at work. Hardly. I'm very intimidated. Oh, come on. So that's the guy with his own TV show. By the way, congratulations to you. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. I, I'm I'm curious about your perspective on this. Obviously, you you've been in this business for for so long. As a broadcaster, fundamentally, how is covering this pandemic era that we're in different than? covering the news in other crises or other eras. (laughs) Well, first of all, what I remember the day when we were like, there's a pandemic. Do you remember that moment if you cast your mind back into the early part of 2020 when we were first made aware that there was a virus and what does this mean? I was in studio with you on March 11th, 2020. And I remember we were right before they kicked us out. Yeah, Yeah, right before. And I think the tension and the anxiety was bubbling up at that yeah. point where we're like we don't actually know what what's going to go on and then i think literally a couple, couple days later like you said no one was allowed in in studio anymore. i got sent home to do the show <laughs> i think that in the beginning there was just it was such a big story this is the story of our lifetime yeah and i don't know how many times in my 30 plus year career where i've thought i am never gonna see or cover a story bigger than this i remember thinking about that a few times the challenger blew up sure. uh, then there was 9 yeah. 11 i am never gonna see it. pandemic and we're still in, we're it. still in it thank god i didn't know in the spring of 2020 <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) That we would still be sitting here talking about it with a new, potentially more problematic variant circulating. I don't know what 2022 is going to look like, but... Crystal Ball, would you have left if someone had told you, listen, this is going to be the next little while? Would you have left earlier? (laughs) Well, if someone said to me, okay, you know what? You are going to talk about COVID for three hours a day, every week, every month, for a year. And then you're going to do it for another year. And then if you maybe have to do it for a third year, I would be like, I am done. I don't know that I can do that anymore. We talked about COVID from every possible angle. And we tried so hard not to talk about COVID. We would say as a group on my team, what can we talk about today that has nothing to do with COVID? But it framed everything. It did. Every road led back to COVID. And and everything you talked about, every person's life was in some way impacted by it. So I think in the very beginning, 
it's like a big weather story normally yeah where we're all experiencing it at the same time Mm -hmm. so there's almost a sense of like we are all literally in the same boat and so everybody feels this sense of uh being connected with each other and that was maybe the upside of the beginning of the pandemic Mm -hmm. that we were all literally on the same page we were afraid we didn't know what it meant dr bonnie henry would come out and she was calm and be kind and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. and we were like yes you know dr bonnie henry is going to lead us through this but um it went on so long and i knew that the longer the pandemic went on the harder it was going to be for government and health officials to be able to get people to do the right thing, get your vaccination, wear your mask, wash your hands, whatever we need to do. And and sure enough, it just it got to a point where people's mental health yeah. was really being slammed and your politics came into play with whether you thought government was telling you what to do. And Dr. Bonnie Henry went from having fluvog shoes created in her honor to having to go on a run with rcmp members because people were threatening to kill her yeah that's how far we pivoted in a pretty short period of time do you remember how self-righteous we were thinking we beat this thing in the summer of 2020 we thought we were so great and uh Mm. you know things flipped uh very shortly after that, in the fall of 2020, in fact. You know, I remember BC was doing better than the other provinces. Yeah. And we kind of were like, oh, look at us, you know, <laughs> pat ourselves on the back because BC's got it. We're all doing the right thing. Those Albertans are crazy yeah. or what have you. They can't get it right. <laughs> yeah. And then we went in the other direction. But I also remember early in the pandemic, there would be a day when they'd do a three-day total over the weekend. Yeah. And they would say, four people in this province have died from COVID. And I would feel that viscerally, and I would look at my team, and like four people died from this virus. Now when they do the daily totals, they're often in double digits, or eight people died in one day, and we had 11 people die. And I think people have become desensitized to it. But think for one second about those eight people and the people who love them, and they're someone's daughter or brother or husband or coworker or whatever. I mean, it has gotten to the point where anyone who said, no, this is just the flu. It's not the flu. We have a lot of people dying from this virus, and we have not beaten it into submission yet, even though I thought we were close a couple of times. And and the biggest thing is, not to dismiss the deaths or anything like that, but the biggest thing is hospitalizations and not overwhelming Mm -hmm. our hospitals right and so if you break your arm you know you're able to get a bed or whatever and and that's something that i think we thought about at the start and we talked about flattening the curve and all that stuff and people started to lose focus of oh you know the death rate is only point whatever percent and it's like it's not just about this statistic it's about not overwhelming our hospitals because we've seen in other jurisdictions Mm -hmm. where and we've had it here too you know canceling surgery flying patients from northern bc into other jurisdictions exactly yeah and that's where it starts to get really scary and you realize how fragile our institutions are and there's a trickle-down effect because you mentioned you know maybe you break your arm and you can't get uh, the care that you would want to get but what about the people who are waiting for a double lung transplant what about people who have cancer who need to get treatment and and a cancer is growing within you as you're being delayed delayed and Mm -hmm. it's canceled I think that if you don't have a healthcare worker in your family, maybe you wouldn't understand the kind of stress that these people have been under. Yeah, unreal. And when they talk about 
uh, dealing with a COVID patient that they are having to put on, you know, intubate them or mm-hmm. put them on ECMO or something. And they're telling the person, you have COVID. And the person's saying, I don't have COVID. You know, and they're fighting oh back, almost like a Monty Python skid. You know, no, I don't cut off my other arm. And I think that some of these healthcare workers are like literal heroes. I talked to a guy who was the head of the COVID unit at St. Paul's, and he talked about a really particularly exhausting day where all he'd seen were COVID patients, and he had seen people die, and he walked out at the end of his shift and walked straight into an anti-vaxxer rally where people were shouting at him and calling him fake, and this is all fake news, and he just was so demoralized. Yeah. And exhausted. Yeah. You and I have discussed polarization in the past. Do you think we've ever been this polarized before in our? Okay. (laughs) Is it so? Is it social media? What is it? What is driving this deep divide where we can't even agree on reality anymore? I think that there were always people who walked among us who had ideas that some of us might find offensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were racist, misogynist, hate government, who knows, whatever. Yeah. But they mostly kept themselves in check and largely didn't express these views at the Thanksgiving table because that was not cool. Sure. But I believe, I could be wrong, and I'm sure people will be mad at me for saying this, but what I saw as a journalist and someone in the media business was that during the Trump presidency, where the most powerful man in the world was suddenly standing up and and saying the most horrific things and being caught Mm -hmm. lying repeatedly and being revered by half of the population, I think a lot of people who agreed with him making fun of a disabled person and making fun of women or grab her by the you-know-what and all this kind of stuff, and they thought, yes, it's our hero, and I think that it emboldened them to stand up. So I think a lot of these people were already there. I will say that I think that there is a huge mental health crisis that is upon us that we can't even fully comprehend, and we won't even fully understand the depth of it until we're probably a year or two, three years past because of the pandemic, where people just aren't themselves anymore, and they're topped out and they can't handle stress and maybe your worst instinct or or you know you can't stop yourself from lashing out because you're just done i yeah. can't do anymore yeah and i mean it shouldn't excuse it but i think it helps explain it and it, and it happens on all sides are from all angles like uh, you know i've had this discussion about you'll see it on social media where you know anti-vaxxer or someone who wasn't who wasn't vaccinated dies and then people are celebrating it and it's like yes that's a you know a a lesson but don't celebrate someone's death like that's still not a good thing and and suddenly but suddenly people feel you know free to express that opinion which i i've always found weird and you know it's one thing to point out the irony but it's one thing to say good i'm glad that person died and it's like are you why well again i think people are stressed out and i think that you can look at someone if you believe in vaccinations and you believe in science and you're doing the right thing and you're mm-hmm. trying to get to the end of the pandemic and you see other people who for maybe various reasons don't think the way you think yeah it's like us against them yeah they don't understand you they're saying to you don't tell me what to do yeah. government's not going to tell me what to do government's trying to control my life they're trying to put you know chips in my arm with this vaccine and you're thinking oh 
why would government want to destroy the economy? <laughs> Let's just talk about this for one second. Like, walk through New world order, man. What, and for what possible reason would government want to they do this? They want to this? make everyone dependent on government. Yeah. It's a one world government, you know? Right? And you get to the point where I felt really frustrated and I see people picketing and blocking ambulances and what have you. Yeah. And I think, what is wrong with you? If we all just did the right thing together, we could get out of this faster. And they're looking at me saying, you've lost it. You've bought into the fake news. Yeah. You're a nutcase. Yeah, the government's, you know, dragging you around and you don't even get it. And I think we've just stopped listening yeah. to each other. And I try to understand where they're coming from. I have a family member, an extended family member, who also had some anxiety issues before and her business was impacted and she was super mad. So she would be posting on Facebook, the media is lying and nobody should get a vaccine and COVID's fake. Mm. She came shopping here to Vancouver, she's from Alberta, mm. and she refused to wear a mask in Nordstrom. And they said, well, they kicked her out. Yeah. My cousin and I'm, well, it turns out the other day, after all her ranting and raving on Facebook, that her dad just died of COVID. Oh, wow. And I thought, this is terrible. So yeah. I texted her and I said, oh, my God, I just heard about your dad, and yeah. I'm so sorry. And part of me in the back of my head, I thought, I wonder <clears throat> if this changes her perspective in any way. And it didn't. She's still oh, posting. So I think that people dig in their heels they have drawn a line in the sand and they have fiercely protected their position around it yeah. and i think some of them are just like i am there's no way i'm not going back now i'm not going to admit that maybe vaccinations are the right thing to do i think that's part of it yeah and i think some people are scared and they're i think that's a big part getting of bad information yeah i i think that's a huge part of it it's just the anxiety manifests in very different ways and it's it can be hard to understand how someone reaches that, but the root, I think, is just, they're anxious. There's and I get it. I mean, if you're a parent and you're <clears throat> not sure about vaccinating your child, I think, well, there's, look at the science. Yeah. But if you have a child and you're worried, or maybe they're immune compromised, or maybe they have allergies, I understand why some people are fearful. Yeah. And that's why doctors say the best way to convince someone is not to shove it down their throat, but to say, let's talk about this. Yeah. Tell me what your concerns are. Let me tell you what I know about that, is to have a conversation. Don't shame them. Don't mm -hmm. bully them. And then often there will be people who go, okay, I'm going to think about this. And you know what? I'm uncomfortable a little bit, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you. I think some of the extremism we've seen, like the protesting at hospitals, mm. like some of the rhetoric you see at some of these protests, it's hard not to get riled up on the other side and be like, these people are disgusting and gross, right? Like, and so, and that's different than someone who's just an anti-vaxxer, but, you know, isn't yelling at nurses or isn't making death threats. And... I think we need to find the middle yeah, yeah. as much as possible, if that's possible. Because in some ways, I think we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you have someone saying, I don't trust government, I don't want government telling me what to do, I am outraged that I can't fly somewhere now and I can't go to a restaurant. I'm just like, you know what? I share your frustration. I am so sick of this pandemic. Sure. I wish it was over. I want to go fly somewhere too. I want more freedom. You and I are on the same page. We're just coming at it from a different point of view view right i'm thinking if we all just did what we were told to do we could get out of this faster you're digging in your heels saying i'm not going to which leaves us with 10 or 15 percent 
of people who are unvaccinated, which allows these variants to get hold and mm-hmm. pivot. And who knows where we're going with this latest one? Maybe we're going down another six months of this. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But ultimately, we all want the same thing. We want freedom and liberty and the right to feel safe and to be able to do what we want to do. But this is an extraordinary circumstance that we have not seen since the Spanish flu, I guess, right? And So polarization, mental health, are there any other trends that you're seeing right mm -hmm. now that are concerning you? One of the things that concerns me is around the lack of trust in media. Mm. And I understand it. Yeah. And again, I'll track back to the Trump era where you're either a CNN viewer or a Fox viewer. And they were both coming at it from such a polarized point of view. But those were the talk show hosts. They're the people who are paid exactly. for their opinion. Yeah. Um, I think that what has happened in the last five years or so is that the media has not done a very good job of drawing the line and helping listeners and viewers and readers understand that this particular piece or this particular person you're listening to is a paid editorialist. Mm -hmm. They are paid to offer their opinion on the big story of the day. Those people who are in the newsroom at Global or CTV at CKNW, they are journalists. Mm -hmm. They are paid to collect facts and interviews and put it together and try to put together a you know comprehensive piece to educate and yeah. inform you and i think the we've lost the plot a bit that people don't understand yeah. if they would listen to me on cknw they'd say you people are so biased at cknw <laughs> was like no wait i am a talk show host and so my job is to have an opinion to drive conversation yeah my colleagues in the newsroom are not supposed to do that yeah and i'm starting to see a little bit on social media, especially with some of the younger journalists, you started to see news people offer a little bit too much opinion, I think, in tweets. And I don't know that that's helpful because it blurs the line even further, where the audience thinks, well, you're not being fair. And I'm thinking we need to, as an industry, help people understand that The person, Anderson Cooper, is giving you his opinion. Mm -hmm. And the person reading the news at CNN is supposed to be just giving you the facts. And it has gotten so muddy that people don't know who to believe anymore and have just chosen camps and they hear what they want to hear. Yeah. I mean, I I can't speak to the industry. I'm still very new to it, I guess. But I I think you're right. Sometimes maybe clarifying that delineation is helpful. But I also find, and it's not to slam news consumers it's just to say that there are there is a segment of the population that could use some basic media literacy the amount of times where i've published literally an op-ed and got the criticism you're biased right and it's like that this, yes this is the whole point i'm not producing news or i'm not objective <laughs> right like i i'm allowed to do this mm-hmm. and trying to explain that to someone i, I it's a little shocking and and this is something weirdly enough i remember i learned in a history 12 grade 12 uh class about sources and source information and editorials versus journalism and news and, and it was the basic stuff but it stuck with me and i wish and i don't know what the school system is like now i think there are some efforts especially around social media mm-hmm. to educate kids but it's like we need to get just the basics down at a school level so you know how to filter information. 
Well, and yeah, schools have a role to play, but I think the media has a role to play. Mm -hmm. Maybe if people can't tell the difference, it should be flagged. Yeah. Maybe there should be a red banner. This is an editorial. This is Mo Amir's opinion. Yeah. This is not a news article. Yeah. And I don't know that we have done that properly. I don't know. Can people tell that Vaughn Palmer at the Vancouver Sun is an editorialist, whereas someone else is a news reporter? We don't really flag things in a big flashing light way. Yeah. And given the I mean, fact they that are people labeled. are labeled, like yeah, especially but not in print. really. In print. Yeah. You know, like a little tiny word sure. editorial. <laughs> and I think because. You know, Canadians not so much, but for sure Americans are super polarized. They are distrustful already. Yeah. And so maybe it is the media's role to make the roles of each person really clear. And I know even with social media, our boss at CKNW was stressed out, you know, I don't even know why we're on Twitter. We shouldn't do this because there would be often little flare ups and what have you. And I found social media really helpful. It was mm -hmm. a good way to get sources. I got good stories. Yeah. I secured interviews. I could get to a mayor on a Twitter DM. Um, so I found it helpful. But you can also get you know sucked into. There should be Twitter should have a button where you can have a ten second regret button <laughs> where you can you know fire something off or you're mad and you just get wound up and you should you be able sure to just make that disappear yeah. <laughs> yeah right so um yeah i think that everybody has a role to play but i think we all need to take a deep breath yeah and i'm with you i i basically live on twitter now and i i love it like i've made friends i've made connections yeah. certainly with you with, with many others i've had a lot of positive discourse but yeah it's easy to get sucked into something that's just not going to go anywhere and it's just negative and yeah. i found i mean i i i've also grown a little bit in terms of how i use it and i always ask myself especially when i'm reacting it's like do i need to respond to this person and usually the answer is no and so i've just tried to uh, uh show some restraint in responding and seeing where that response is coming from. Yeah, the other thing too is that I don't get caught up in other people's replies. Mm. If it's someone that I've engaged with before, and I think, oh, you know, I, I will look at some of the replies. You love the quote retweet. That yeah, is your I don't move. Know why. You don't do the reply. You love the quote I, retweet. I know, and it's not even because I'm thinking everyone should see what I'm saying. I think mm. it just became that's how I did it, or that's okay. how I thought you did it. It isn't really by design. <laughs> Uh, I'll just explain that. But I think that sometimes there'll be the most horrific, nasty responses that verge on defamatory or yeah. just, you know, racist or whatever. And I won't have even seen them yeah. because I'm not trolling through every response to every tweet and whatever. And um, then I wonder, is that you my also responsibility? Get the, you also get a deluge of responses. Mine are still at a manageable level for most <laughs> tweets, but uh, you get, you know, sometimes tons of replies. I'll say this, though. Some of the most lovely people are on Twitter yeah. and uh, some of these responses and interaction with a stranger can make your day. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and some of them can ruin your day. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So it's a double edged sword. Yeah. I want to switch gears here for a second. You and uh, fellow broadcaster Mike Colleen set up a political communications coaching program during the federal election, which I thought was really cool because I think a lot of politicians need a little media coaching. Mm. Uh, and sometimes, you know, they can find themselves in in big stories. And I'm particularly thinking of Talib Nur Mohammed. <laughs> the one that leapt to my mind as well. And, you know, I, I uh, 
I got a lot of clout off him because I there was the jokes just wrote themselves and mm-hmm. the commentary wrote itself and uh, he is a nice man but I think it's it was so poorly mis- mishandled on a media level that you couldn't help but comment on it. What is the biggest thing that politicians do wrong when they engage with media? Well, first of all, have you read Jody Wilson-Raybould's book? I'm in the middle of it. Okay. So when I read it, and I appreciate the fact that it is her version of events in the Trudeau cabinet, Mm -hmm. but I think there was enough in there where she pulled back the curtain to see that being in government, and really, I'm sure this is probably applies to almost all the parties, that you have to toe the party line, you have to say the Mm -hmm. right thing, you can only say this, everything has to be scripted. If you have a tough question, you just evade it, you don't answer it, and People who end up being elected MPs virtually have almost no voice. Even the cabinet ministers, Jody Wilson-Raybould said she wasn't even allowed to talk to a fellow cabinet minister without the PMO being involved. So in saying that, I think what's frustrating is that over the years, and this may be partially the media's fault, is that every word, every line is parsed and can turn into a huge story that can blow back to cause you political This uh, is my bread and butter, Linda. Don't say it's the media's (laughs) fault. Well, I just just started. (laughs) Okay. Do you remember when during the heat dome, when we had unfortunately somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 people lost their lives, John Horgan, the premier, got up and did new conference. It was extensive. I think Mm -hmm. it ran for almost an hour. He said one thing in that news conference where he said uh, people were asking him, should you not have done a better job of warning the public about the dangers of this uh, heat wave? And he said, well, as Dr. Bonnie Henry said, fatalities are a part of life. Right. And that was well, all that you heard became about it, yeah. the headline, and he had to make an apology really quickly on social media. Yeah. First of all, that wasn't even his line. He said Dr. Bonnie Henry right. had said it. And if you listen to the sort of entire 45 minutes, he, he wasn't being callous. Uh, it was a moment in time, a careless hmm. phrase that blew up in his face. And so I think politicians have become so wary of any reputational party damage yeah. that they're now on strictly talking points. Yeah. And it was so aggravating during the federal election to see, you know, Aaron O'Toole be asked the same question by media umpteen times, how many members of the party are vaccinated? Mm-hmm. And he would just pivot to say something that had nothing to do with that. Yeah, It's because we're in this new era of almost gotcha, yeah. sort of journalism, although that was a valid question. I'm not saying it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But I feel like politicians are not really even being real. I think that's why John Horgan is good at his job is because he shoots yeah. from the hip <clears throat> and it gets him in trouble sometimes, but you get the sense that when he's standing behind he's the podium, guy. he's being a real person telling you what he really thinks. Yeah. And I would say that the vast majority of politicians at all levels mm-hmm. in Canada don't do that anymore. So do you think they're the biggest problem with political communications with the media is that it's too scripted, yes. too rehearsed? 100%. Yeah. I mean, even with the Talib um, yeah. story, and he was under fire because he made a living flipping houses, yeah. made a lot of money. Not illegal. Not totally illegal, illegal. <laughs> except for he's running for a party that yeah. says this is distasteful and pushing up housing prices and we're going to find a way to stop it. Yeah. So the obvious question is, how do you square that circle? Yeah. Well, he kind of dodged media a bit for a while, mm-hmm. took some bad press, then sits down with an interview uh, for an interview with CTV, knowing he is going to face that question. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this video of course yeah 
David Molko asks him a very clear question. How much money did you make by flipping houses? And he does this whole, well, um, yeah. Um, Let's start over. <laughs> yeah. Could you ask me that question again? Yeah. <laughs> and this goes on for a bit. And it is so cringeworthy. And I'm thinking, you knew he was going to ask the question. Yeah, how he are finally, you on the third try, spits out this perfectly crafted line yeah. that was tied up with a bow. And I think he had been coached. All you have to do is say that, interview's over. Yeah. And he couldn't remember the exact wording of how I was, but that's my theory. Yeah. And he got into trouble. Yeah, I mean, it, there had to be some, he just wasn't prepared. And I think. How could he not have been prepared? He knew exactly what the journalist well, wanted to know. Well, he didn't know, know. The, line, the line to give. You know, I, I, Yeah, but what, that's, the, that's the whole point. Yeah. It's a line. It was a line. It wasn't what he really thinks. Yeah. He should have I just said. What I was doing was not illegal. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that there is concern that what people like me have done has pushed up housing prices. I will reflect on that. My party leader has said that we are going to not do that in the future. I respect that and mm -hmm. I will change whatever. Yeah. He should have just met it head on and been honest. Yeah, and I think that's what was, was lacking. I mean, even if he just said, listen, like when we increase taxes on the rich, it's going to affect a lot of people who are in government, but yeah. they still do it. It's the same thing. And pushing that narrative of I'm working for you as a private business person, my only obligation is to increase the wealth of shareholders. And if I'm the only shareholder in the company, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. But if I'm in government, I'm working for you. Like, like just being, I think, honest, I think would have been right. more palatable because people would go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, like but that's my point is that we're not getting a lot of real talk yeah. from politicians. I mean, if you look at say Doug Ford, you can maybe not like his politics, but he was very much like Ralph Klein. Yeah. He got up there and he told it very much the way Doug Ford sees it. And yeah. whether you like it or not, whether you agree with him or not, you, I think that's what Doug Ford thinks, and yeah. he's not afraid to say it. At least you know where he's coming from, so you can either support it or not. Mm -hmm. So there's certain sort of retail politicians that are better at that, yeah. more confident, and then there's others who are like, at all costs, we must stay in power, we must not have controversies, mm -hmm. we must not you know, contradict the PMO, we must all be on the same page, everyone march you know, at this speed. And it starts to feel like nobody's really being honest or actually talking to Canadians anymore. Yeah. This is the line we have scripted. I will tell you this. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're done. Thinking locally, provincially, or if you have to go federally, we can do that. Who's the best politician at communications? Who's someone you look at and you go, this person gets it? Well, I'll say right now, yeah, right at this now. exact moment, we have to give a shout out to Henry Braun, the mayor of Abbotsford, yes. Yes. because he has stepped up in a massive emergency that has been ongoing. This man probably is deeply sleep deprived and stressed out. Yeah. He has been there, he has shown up, he has worn his rubber boots, and he has said, I'm here and we're on it. Yeah. And I he's think he's working his tail off, he's not sugarcoating it. You get that impression that he's really there for people. And that he's literally on the job, yeah. you know, that people feel like it's, it's under control mm -hmm. and that he's going to tell you there's more bad news coming, we have more bad weather yeah. and this is what we're doing to try to mitigate it or there's no way we're going to be able to stop that water from coming in from the Nooksack River. Yeah. I think he's done a good job. I think Brad West, I know you're a yeah. fan of him as we're well, bros. the mayor of Port Coquitlam. <laughs> 
Here's a guy who wasn't afraid to speak out uh, when it came to issues about, you know, political parties or people being a little too cozy, Mm -hmm. maybe with Chinese influencers, spoken out about um, money laundering Mm -hmm. and the impacts on BC. But it's also, again, a retail politician who knows that the stuff that people really care about in Port Coquitlam is, are you picking up the garbage? Are the parks clean? You know, he's doing things, he's making sure that um, he's listening to concerns. And in fact, I believe that he was able to cut property taxes, uh, not once, but twice. And so, yeah, I think he's done a good job. And I think his constituents respect him. Mayor West might get mad at me for telling this story, but I don't think it it gives away anything. He had, uh, or I should say the city had had some requests of looking into like junk programs. So Mm -hmm. getting rid of couches or or fridges or whatever. And so at council, they implemented this program. And he just said the outpour of support he got from that program surprised him like he thought oh this is a great program but the emails and facebook comments that he was getting on this program like far exceeded he according to him far exceeded any other thing that he'd ever done yeah and you know for him it's a very it it was a good program you know but not the biggest most grandiose innovative thing in the world and it was because and i think this is what makes him successful is yes he can get up on his soapbox and talk about these bigger issues but he's still there on the ground doing things that people in port coquitlam want and that's why he's popular he's not popular in port coquitlam because of the you know the stuff he does in the media yeah w5 or what have you he's popular because people see him out out in the community and doing work let's even talk about something as small as being able to go have a craft beer like an adult in a park in Porco Quillen. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they were way out in front on that. And in Vancouver, oh, just the gnashing of teeth and we have to have umpteen meetings. And I think it went a year and a half. And oh, now the province has to change the Vancouver yes. charter and what have you. And it was like, come on. I mean, just treat people like adults. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. So I think Brad West has done a good job. I also think Jagmeet Singh has mm-hmm. done a good job. Now you can say it's because maybe not in this last election, but before he, you know, wasn't in any danger, he wasn't going to win, so he maybe had more latitude to be more real. But do you remember during the second last election when there was the blackface photos Mm -hmm. that came out with Trudeau? Instead of trying to score political points on that, he just spoke as a person of color and just said, this is really hurtful. Racism is is hurtful. And, And it was so real. And I remember looking at him, and I think that was one of the moments where I actually clued in a little bit that this was a guy who was going to stand out because he wasn't, you know, going for the gotcha moments. He yeah. was just being real. Even with the the discovery of mass graves in, in Tecumloops and, and elsewhere, when he spoke, you know, he wasn't speaking in a grandiose, breathless way. He was speaking like a real person, and he did get quite emotional. Mm. And it just came off as very real. You know, he was being himself. And I think, you know, going back to Tlaib, not to pick on him, but... I think people want to see a bit of vulnerability, right? They exactly. want to see you. <clears throat> they, people understand that no one's perfect. Right. But, and not every situation or circumstance is perfect. But if they can see you kind of putting yourself out there, not trying to be too defensive or anything like that, um, it resonates with people. Yeah, I think Aaron O'Toole was a little too controlled by his party. Mm. His image during the election was perfectly lit. They had news conferences. I think in the beginning he was doing a lot of things right, and then when they started um, 
to feel the heat from the liberals in particular, while all the parties, they started to really even more control the message. And I think all of those people have the ability to be real. I mean, look at uh, the Green Party leader, Annamie Paul, during yeah. the debate. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden everybody was like, what? <clears throat> wow. I didn't realize that you were that articulate and she scored some big points. I just think nobody cared because she was the Green Party yeah. leader. She wasn't under this pressure. It same was too far pressure. gone at that point for her, I think. Yeah. I think people just want to feel like the people they elect don't forget that they were elected by constituents. Mm-hmm who expect them to listen to them or at least explain what they're doing and why they're doing it. So on the topic of listening and explaining, which you've done a lot as a radio talk show host, would you ever no. consider running no. for politics? <laughs> you must have been approached, though, over the years, well, I imagine. here's the thing. I think it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. It's, it's tough for men and women, um, but it is particularly difficult for female politicians. Sure, yeah. So, I don't know. I think you have to be a political animal. I think you have to have it in your blood. And I think going back decades, there might have been more altruistic candidates who just wanted to help their communities and the province and the country. And I'm not saying they don't now. I See, my just... conspiracy was that you left broadcasting because you were going to do a moral <laughs> run. <laughs> no, you are completely wrong. Your crystal ball is very hazy. I wouldn't mind being somebody's deputy minister. Sure. I, I'm interested in the process and yeah. I'm interested in affecting change and, and being able to create policy that maybe benefits people. Mm-hmm. But I see the front person as you know the 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 mla the mayor the mp or whatever they don't have in some instances they don't have a lot of power yeah you know it's all very centralized somewhere i i don't know it's a tough job it's a a tough job it's a very tough job and i respect them for doing it Mm -hmm. i do i just don't really want to do it myself so you're not running for office. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> you uh, you left the door open for for a future uh, to return into media. Just 2022. What's your mindset? Mm. What are you focused on? What's the philosophy? The Linda Steele philosophy for the new year. Well, I am trying to take a deep breath, and I'm trying to realize that. I mean, I've spent my whole career deciding I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and and really having a lot of control, a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> and I realize now that, you know, sometimes you just have to let the universe unfold yeah. the way it will. And I sit there in my angst sometimes and think, how do I fill that creative void that I'm shriveling a little bit? And I think, well, you're doing the most important thing right now, which is you're available for your dad. Mm-hmm. I am the only family member here to see him in long-term care, bring a little joy to his life. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And when he hugs me and he tells me he's happy that I came to visit him, that's the reason I my life is the way it is right now. Yeah. So I'm trying to not plan so far in advance and to keep my mind open so that instead of thinking it's going to be this, I'm going to do that, to yeah. be open to something completely unexpected and go, wow, that would be really cool. Yeah. So I'm I just going to try to not be such a planner. 
<laughs> and I am very hopeful. I am still hopeful that 2022 is going to be a better year yeah. for all of us. And I think it's going to bring me some clarity about okay. what the next phase of my life looks like. I love that. I, I feel like I've been working on the trying not to plan things out or create expectations for many years now. And I think I've gotten better at it. But it is a challenge when, mm -hmm. when your natural inclination is towards that. And I love that you said that because that's something that I've – it's a constant work in progress where I'm just trying not to create too many expectations, trying to be open to opportunities as they open up. Right. Trying not to – fixate it's important to have goals but trying not to fixate on a vision of what my life is supposed to be because once you kind of open it up you realize oh there's actually a lot more joy in the world and, right. and you're not disappointed as much and plus if you have too clear of a vision on the one hand if you're trying to meet a goal yeah and you can goal have it on great. your vision board and you could say i'm gonna do that and you can make it happen and that's a good thing yeah but if you get so tunnel vision that the only thing i can do is that yeah then you miss opportunities and you stop engaging with people you don't even hear or see something else that might be right in front of you that might actually be the most interesting thing you've never done yeah so yeah. I'm trying to be open. I know privately and, and publicly I've uh, expressed my gratitude for you many times, but I want to tell you a story because okay. I don't think I've actually told you this story. So back in 2019, when you first came on the show, it was early 2019, uh, that was episode 33. And when I started the podcast, if, you know, it's one of those things, I'm not in broadcasting, I'm not in media, and I just started it. And the, in the back of your mind, the question that remains is, why am I doing this? Like, what am I even doing this for? And I set out a sort of a benchmark for myself. And I said, I'm going to do 33 episodes. Oh. The reason I picked 33 is because three is my lucky number. Okay. I was born on the third day of the third month. So, you know, three, 33, this is all whatever. So when I started the show... No, I didn't know you were going to be that guest, but I said, I'm going to, you know, go to episode 33. I want to get in that many episodes. And at that point, if nothing's really happened, then uh, then maybe I'll stop. But I'll, I'll reassess why I'm doing it at that. Before that, I'm not going to think about why I'm doing this. You came on. We had a great chat. It was mm -hmm. so lovely to meet you. I was in awe, of course. And and then after the show, you gave me your card and you said, hey, I'd love to have you on the show and we could great, make some great radio. And, you know, that was a big turning point for me. And we did countless segments. Mm -hmm. Some were fire. Some were duds, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, that was an interesting moment because that's what encouraged me to keep going. That's awesome. And so, you know, there's a lot of different factors involved, but I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for you being so gracious and nice and, and giving me that opportunity and being so supportive along the way. So I do want to thank you for that. I know you've touched a lot of people. Obviously, when you left CKNW, the, the gratitude you received uh, was from many people from all different uh, walks of life and people who worked with you or had, had, uh, had just been listening to you. And so I think it's important that you know that you've touched people and impacted people in very positive ways. So Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate all the people that I've been in contact with throughout my career that made me better. But let me just say this. 
when I went on your podcast, I was unfamiliar with you. <laughs> uh, I had looked you up. Oh, it's interesting. Okay. And I was really impressed. You had done your homework. You were uh, very articulate, very engaging. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. This is a guy who's in the lumber business, <laughs> yeah. uh, who is doing a really amazing job. So you can give me credit for being nice to you. But I thought, <laughs> no, hang on a second. This guy should be should have a bigger platform. And I was always looking for new guests for my own show, mm. new voices. And I thought, man, this this would maybe work. And you would come in on Fridays, right? Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes we would pop a little bottle of wine. At the end <laughs> that, of the those show. were the best ones, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I knew, I saw immediately that this was someone who had talent, who could do pretty much whatever you wanted to do. So I remember walking in saying to my boss, "Hey, you know, there's this guy. His name is Moamir, <laughs> and you should, you know." And so anyway, that's very it's nice. Just, Thank you. Uh, I appreciate yeah. that. And and you know, you can call it nice or whatever, but it's even just being given the opportunity. Mm. Um, very easy for you to be like, oh, I don't know who this guy is. Why would I ever go on a show? Like, why would I spend the time to do that? But the fact that you did that and, uh, like I said, supportive along the way, it means a lot. So well, I did want to share that story with you. I do feel like it is full here. circle because <laughs> we met on your podcast. Yeah. I brought you onto my show. Then you sort of had a launching pad to a bunch of other uh, media ventures. Mm -hmm. Now you have your own show, and I'm out of the media, and you invite <laughs> me on your choice, show. You're my choice, to be very clear. It, it's, like a, it's like a full circle moment, it is. so I appreciate it. But it, this is very, uh, it means a lot to me, and it was it was one of those things that I wanted to have a, you know, I know when we're on TV, it's like a we're under the clock, but yeah. I wanted to express it in a way that we had a little more I free appreciate flow, that. so... Thank you so much. And this was a joy to see you. And I do miss being on the radio with you. I've always yeah, had a good time. I did too. I know towards the tail end there, we were just doing the, the call -ins. Yeah, that's less fun. But nevertheless, yeah. always had a good time with you. And you're doing a great job. And I'm proud of you. Thank you. I feel like I had just a little tiny role in helping You could take credit. Take a, take a credit. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Linda, thank you so much. Thank you. Folks, that's our podcast. She is, of course, the broadcasting legend. She is Linda Steele, and I am Mo Amir, telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Yeah.